Welcome to the Fiction Holics, where two thriller authors reverse engineer thrillers from current events, review movies they like, and play the conspiracy game, a game show about oddball conspiracies and why North Dakota doesn't exist. Your first host is TJ McKay. He's the author of the financial thriller Lucky Links, which is now available on Amazon. He'll show you who really runs the world, and it ain't pretty. Your second host is Michael Angel. He's the author of the Plague Walker Medical Series, which is also available on Amazon. When it comes to microscopic bugs that can kill you, he's your man. We're going to start off with the first segment of our show, where two authors reverse engineer thrillers from current events. Anyway, this is uh, Michael Angel over here on the left-hand microphone. And I, of course, as always, TJ McKay on the far right of the microphone. The far right microphone. How, how come I never get the far right microphone? You know, because I like to like to turn my head to the left toward the toward the mic, and you like to turn to the right, so it kind of just makes sense. But you it's, know, it's that old war injury, isn't it? Makes it where it's hard for you to turn the other way, isn't it? If I turn the other way, you would have to cover your ears. I I would squeal like a baby. <laughs> well, speaking about not pretty, I'm hearing you have something for us to to. You wanted to rant about a little bit tonight, so yeah. I kind of wanted I kind of wanted to hear what you had to rant about. Yeah. So basically. You know, after the first couple of episodes of our wonderful uh, new uh, Fiction Holics uh, podcast, Mr. Michael, what I have done is I is I said, you know, do I come across a little bit too strong, a little bit too reckless, a little bit too opinionated? You know, of course, a thriller author is not supposed to go out of a thriller author's lane. It's supposed to be relatively within the realm of only talking about, you know, writing structure and, you know, talking about how great gothic uh, clothing is and trying to <laughs> mimic, uh, you know, Stephen King and Dean Coons, right? Um, I don't about you. I shop at Hot Topic all the time. I, uh, you know, the blue eyeliner really does look good on you. Um, Thank you. The blue eyeliner. I Also, I do like my nose ring. Well, you know what? Uh, once I pull it from your nose, you'll be squealing like, like an even bigger baby <laughs> than me. So anyway, um, back. So as I'm going around listening to these other podcasts, saying, "Have I been too reckless? Have I been just too, you know, off the wall?" And here's what I realized: it's kind of like when you go into either an Alcoholics Anonymous or a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. And you're in like this big circle of like 15 people and you're, and you're number two or number three and you kind of rush and you make a joke or two and you think you make a total horse's butt out of yourself because you, oh shoot, did I get a little too personal and I say something a little bit? Is this right? theoretical or is this going somewhere <laughs> I need to know? And then suddenly by like the 11th person going, they're talking about every damn problem in their family, about how they were abused, about every worst thing in life. I'm like, wow. I actually have, I'm actually the most sharp, sharpened person in this room. It's kind of how I feel about it now. I mean, our podcast, we're pretty sharp compared uh, to so many of these freaks out there. I can't, anyway. I can't argue that. And if, if you're one of those freaks, keep on listening in. We love you. Just remember that. We do love you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if you are a freak that, you know, likes to go off at all your personal problems and you're the 10th or 11th person in, in the ring of like an AA meeting, that's totally okay. But just know that... Uh, what I want to know is if you end up last in a room like that... I mean, how do you top the rest of it? Wouldn't you feel like pressure to like one up the next person or something? Honestly, if I was like the last person in one of those rooms, I would just like say, okay, where can I score fentanyl? Just like inject it into my veins and just like go to town and God knows what come out of that person's mouth, eyes, ears, nose, especially now in this age where we're all freaked out about, you know, mucus coming out. I mean, gee, like 
I mean, it would have to be a five-star freak the hell out of the circle experience beyond what any thriller writer could possibly imagine. I suppose the only thing I could say was something to the effect of, you know, keeping it nice, sweet, and simple. If you were stuck one of those at the end, just say, I can't really say anything about all this. All I can say is, meth is a hell of a drug. Yeah. And just leave it at that. It is. And uh, by the way, I'd like to apologize to the audience for this now being, I think, the second uh, strong mention of methamphetamine in our podcast the first of course a couple of episodes ago i think podcast number two where we discussed the glorification of walter white from breaking bad so do expect please there'll be many more methamphetamine drops and of course i just gave a fentanyl so yeah you know what as a matter of fact just uh cover your kids ears uh my children will definitely not be listening at least at this episode Yes, I know. So when they try, I think I know you clap your hands over their their tender ears so that they can only hear a. Oh, thank goodness, Dad is still pure. Well, we either do that, Mr. Michelangelo, or we get our wonderful uh, narrator, Mr. James Manganiello, the governor of North Dakota, to yes. come in and say something smart. So there you go. There you go. Hey, let's go on to. Um, or you want to go on? Into the news. How we take modern news stories and turn them into thrillers for you to write about. Now, here's our, here's our news story we're going to lead off here. And these are usually plucked from the headlines, most, most often real, or at least as real as the internet gets. And this one here is the so-called conspiracy theory that the Walt Disney Company created the movie Frozen. You may have heard about it. It was a little flick, got a little publicity. I think it was, did moderately well at the box office, from what I understand. And that they created it specifically with the name Frozen, to alter the Google image, to alter the Google results when you search for Disney Frozen to get it away from those persistent rumors that Walt Disney was cryogenically frozen and is somewhere kept underneath Magic Mountain in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, how would you turn this into a thriller? This is kind of fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, great question. So, the first reaction is actually how I would title this thriller, and it's, we're talking about Rat Poison Kingdom, a.k.a. the Walt Disney Company. Okay. As I like we, to call it, Cancer Mouse. Yeah, who's been writing off this, this mouse for years, and in recent years just made the decision to gobble up Marvel, gobble up Star Wars, gobble up that, glorify all their former CEOs who were doing all kinds of lewd things on the side, right? Anyway, this is really all this is. You know in the corporate world or in the real world when you ask somebody, a colleague, for something via email. And they say, and they get back to you and say, I will get it to you at the bottom of the hour, or I will get it to you soon, or I promise I will get it to you by X. It's some type of, you know, immediate due date, right, with relative urgency. And it never comes. Have you ever been that jackass that decided to wait five, six, seven days, even a few weeks, and, and then suddenly re replied and said, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's essentially what this is, okay? Okay. Okay, they are okay, great. You know something? Everybody knows that this guy has been cryogenically frozen. They know that, you know, he should have died. They know that he's been kept alive. And, you know, now, like, now they're telling us this. Like, now they have to go and make some blockbuster movie about this. They're okay grading us. Whoever wants to write that story about that email. And you know who actually kind of did this in, in somewhat of a convoluted halfway way was Back to the Future. Because if you take a look at the Back to the Future trilogy, which is a thriller in many ways. Yes, it is. It has many thriller elements to yeah. it. So you take ticking, a look. It has a ticking clock, the high stakes, all that. Absolutely. Marty McFly uh, went to the mail carrier 
1955 to receive a letter written by Doc Brown in 1885. And the courier was so intrigued about an, about an 80-year-old letter that he wanted to personally deliver it, right? So that would kind of be like the old-school way of the modern, you know, reply, okay, great, five weeks later to make the sender who just totally got buried in their work feel like crap. What do you think, Michael? I think, I think that's a good way to take it. I'll be honest with you. I was focused more on the... I just think this is a lot of potential on the back-end Act 3 area, quite frankly. Because okay. you know what's going to happen. When these emails come to light, when our protagonist finds all this out and threatens to expose it, you have so many rich ideas you can have to have action scenes in Disneyland. Yeah. You know, actually, like getting chased up Thunder Mountain, actually mm. getting shot at on the jungle ride. And of course, if you do this, it gets very meta, because if you do this during the park operational hours, everybody's going to think, wow, this is the most fantastic, realistic action show we've seen. How come Disney doesn't do this more often? So it's kind of like a Jumanji, almost. Uh, I think you're right, a Jumanji yeah. type thing. And, yeah. and, and I think we even throw in a little bit of, a little bit of humor in there, is that when they confront the bad guy who'd be, uh, well, let's see... Uh, Bob Geiger or something like that for the CEO. We find out that Frozen was like, you can't derail this plan because this is like the third iteration because we've tried before and failed miserably. And you find out that's the reason Disney got into like ice capades because it was Disney on ice and they were trying to get it away from Frozen Disney. Didn't work. Now you're going to mess up our plans. Now you got to die. And that's what sets up the action scene. What would cap this whole thing off is the very final scene is suddenly Anna and Elsa from Frozen. As soon as they defeat the antagonist, they look under the ice and they see a frozen Walt Disney right next to Bob Iger under the ice. <laughs> that would be a hell of a thriller. That would be a great twist at the end. I'm all on board for it. All right. We have a second Disney-related thing we need to talk about, though. You know, this rat just won't go away. I tell you. Like I said, I love, I love, me, I love me some classic Cancer Mouse. We have another one here, which is, and this, by the way, not only is it reported in the news, but this was actually confirmed by Disney to be actually true. You just have to figure out how to, how to base something around it, a thriller around it, which is that for the last 30-some-odd years, whenever they use vintage footage of Walt Disney, they either crop out or digitally erase his cigarette. Because Disney was a smoker, and if you see him in the classic things for Disney's, Marvel, Disney's Wonderful World of Adventure, you know, all the classic Disney stuff, mm -hmm. he has a, he actually, there's smoke coming off and he's smoking. It was an accepted American pastime. But somewhere around the 80s or the 90s, they realized, mm, maybe more, not so family friendly anymore, they digitally erased it. So, how can we use that premise in, in a thriller? What do you think? First of all, I want to say that I think that this is a massive mistake. On behalf of Disney. What, not letting him smoke? Well, three of the biggest uh, you know, cinematic legends of all time all died young, and they all smoked. A one, Mr. James Dean. A two, Mr. Howard Hughes. And a three, Mr. One, Rodney Dangerfields. Okay? All smokers all died? All uh, smokers and all died very, very young. So... I, and, and they are all just absolutely <clears throat> adored. <clears throat> the key is to die young with a cigarette in your mouth, and nobody will ever question anything. Have you seen, like, pictures of Che Guevara? I mean, the guy's walking around with a cigarette in his mouth, and, and the guy is just, you know, lauded as this revolutionary, you know, a figure. Um, you know, the Marvel man, John Wayne, okay? 
It's all about the cigarette in the mouth. You know, I think you may have be honest something here because I'm, you're, you're thinking about all the cinematic greats, people we look mm -hmm. back from 50, 60, 100 years are going to remember. Humphrey Bogart, smoked. Yeah. Clark Gable, smoked. Yeah. Cary Grant, smoked. Yeah. yeah, and see, like, you know, what I don't get either is they say, okay, to be family friendly, but the reality is, is who the hell wants to go near the founder, Walt Disney? Like, it's not like you go to McDonald's and you're going there to hang out with Ray Kroc. You're going there to hang out with Grimace or the Hamburglar. Was, were, okay? either, were either of them okay. smokers? I'm not sure I'm following them. I'm just saying, you know, you know, the founder finds a business so he doesn't have to be bothered by a bunch of kids <laughs> pulling his leg all the time and throwing crap at him, okay? So the thing that you'd want to repel people the hell away from would be a damn cigarette. So, you know, listen, you want me to build the context of a thriller off of a particular conspiracy theory, at least make it a, you know, a conspiracy theory that I would ideally uh, use the same principles to protect myself. This is not one of them. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. Okay. okay let's, let's, let's take this around full circle then. Okay. What if we find out, the person who's investigating this phenomenon, we find out that the cigarettes for all these people that ended up as classic Cinema, cinema icons or industrial icons or whatever, the cigarette was really just, it was a symbol that you were in the know. You were part of the Illuminati. They had the cig. Ooh. Now, when that order was overthrown, say in the 70s, 80s, behind the scenes, guess what? They had to find a different symbol. You don't see it anymore. So having that would be equivalent to like, oh, I don't know, uh, uh, if you're Catholic, perhaps, carry on a crucifix or something like that. Something to show you're part of the old school and that just doesn't exist anymore. You find out that all the order has been overturned because mm -hmm. of that. Now, of course, once you found that out, Disney probably couldn't let you live. Yeah. Obviously, your, your life's forfeit at that point. Yeah. You're going to have to go on the run. You're going to have to find sanctuary somewhere. Maybe the twist is that the person gets away by finding Disney's cryogenic procedure and gets themselves frozen, so hopefully they'll forget about this in about 60 years so when they get resurrected. Oh, yeah, the thing I looked into about cigarettes. Don't worry about it. You know what? I think you just wrote the thriller yourself, Mr. Michael. I think, well, somebody will have to pick it up. If not me, somebody out there will pick it up. The title of Disney's Cigarette Dilemma is? I think something like, how about Up in Smoke? Ooh, I love it. Or Smoke Around the Ears. Ooh, I like that. I like that. All right, I got yeah. it. Well, it's been great, but uh, Mr. Rat uh, Poison, I think we're going to move on from you, bud. All right, the next segment of the show, we're going to talk about a thriller movie or a book that these guys liked. Or maybe one of them liked it, one of them hated it. Or maybe they both hated it. Or they even both hated liking it. Y you never know. But you get the idea. Take it away, guys. Anyway, we're going to talk about what I like to call the Killer What's It movie. The Killer What's It movie is any movie that, uh, really more monster thriller, horror thriller, I guess, where there's a killer fill in the blank that is picking off people, and that's the basis of your story. It could be anything from, I don't know, killer rabbit, killer shark, killer grizzly bear, killer killer whale, killer killer whale. I think the epitome of the killer what's a movie was probably the original Jaws. That's what really kicked it off. I wanted to throw it open to discuss what other killer what's a movies have we had in the last, say, decade or so that kind of follow the same trajectory that, that we like or don't like. You know, I personally, I think the best good, I think, killer what's it movie out there next to Jaws is The Ghost in the Darkness, which I showed you fairly recently. If you guys haven't seen it, Michael Douglas and a fairly young Val Kilmer base their hunting lions or a pair of lions that are terrorizing these railroad workers in Africa in, I believe it's the 1890s. 
Uh, it's really quite thrilling, quite good. I, I think it's a very underrated film. Mm -hmm. And among other things, uh, Michael Douglas chews the scenery to ribbons. He is obviously having so much fun with this, being the crazy, you know, great Hunter Remington, that you just can't help but like him. And, and here's the other part that I really like. I think I may have pointed out to, to TJ when we watched it. It most closely follows one very particular structure in Jaws, which is you have a trinity. You have three men who have a, 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 each has a different life experience. They're bringing something to the equation, but their common interest is to stop the killer. What's it? In Jaws, remember, you had Quint, you had Chief Brody, who was the policeman, Roy Scheider, and you had Matt Hooper, who was the scientist. So you had a boat captain, who a fisherman, you had a scientist studying the shark, and you had a policeman there. In Ghost in the Darkness, you have your professional hunter with, with Michael Douglas, you have the railroad engineer in Val Kilmer, and you have, um, what was his name? Samuel, I believe his name was, who was one of the big foremen there. He was like one of the local tribesmen who knew the area. And they kind of bond together over the fireplace, just the same way the guys in Jaws bonded over the beer at, at night. I would say that my favorite, most recent Killer Watson movie was A Quiet Place. And what was fascinating about this movie, and actually The, the, the Quiet Place 2 is out now, I, I, I have not seen it for the same reasons Michael has not. I would have to essentially camp and rob somebody to get into a movie theater these days. They wouldn't let somebody like me in. So I'm, I'm just too vulgar. Well, not, not, you're too vulgar not to mention all those incidents where you were asked to leave. Yeah, 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 and we won't get into anything else more. Not like I had my hands in certain places they shouldn't have been. Let's just say you and Paul Rubens can't be seen in public. <laughs> you know, there you go again. Another pre-1990 reference, Michael. Hey, you, you, you folks, you, you, you got Google. Look it up. <laughs> so, so, anyway, back to Pee-wee's Big Top. A Quiet Place essentially centers around John Krasinski and his family in a futuristic time period where a where an alien race has conquered the earth and uh, they do not have any visual sight or smell the only sense they have is to hear so they cannot talk or even mutter a sound or else these aliens will come and they will rip them to shreds and they have essentially wiped out the majority of the human race so what the the, the whole point of the movie is is you have these these few um, uh, humans who are in packs traversing the earth together trying to escape these aliens and it is it is just done so well in a very similar way to that of jaws where you hardly ever see the antagonist you hardly ever see the creature if you will gradually in certain split images and then finally at the end right yeah so i think that a quiet place to me would fit that mode pretty well question how sensitive is the hearing for these guys i mean if you just go <coughs> are you oh. dead or, or, or if you, what if you drop a fork or something like that? Oh, you're pretty much dead. Okay. What if you breathe hard? They, 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 would, be, they would be suddenly in your neighborhood sniffing and, mm. and, and looking for you. Okay. Now, these are aliens, yeah. right? I mean, these, is there any explanation where they come from? These are aliens. Uh, no, there's no explanation for the simple reason that there's no talking in the film. <laughs> it's kind of like... Well, that Cassidy. certainly helps. It's... It's kind of, so there, there's, there's absolutely zero dialogue outside of a few, uh, you know, uh, words written in marker from the, from the wife to the husband. It, it's kind of like, you know, in Castaway where, you know, Tom Hanks wins Best Actor. Meanwhile, he said, what, like three lines in the whole film, you know? Or, yeah, I think Tom yeah. Hanks and on his island and, and these people would be the only ones that could survive because they know how to be quiet long enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I think if I was faced with, not having a tongue and, and being able to speak, I'd probably just eat myself. Uh, but anyway. What about, so. um, don't they actually, 
doesn't the family actually get around some of the problems by living near a waterfall? Because that gives you some gray noise yes. in the background so they could probably talk real quietly yes. or something. That is but exactly the, But the do. waterfall doesn't attract them. I mean, couldn't you just like turn on a large fan or something like that? Uh, it's not the same as a waterfall. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, and you know, waterfalls is a lot cooler. I just figure, so. you know, if you needed to, if you needed to get out of some place and they were tracking, you could like leave on a delay, you could leave a recording of like one of Joe Rogan's podcasts or something, turn it on, leave it somewhere. They'd go after that. You run the other direction. Wouldn't that work? Yep. Rogan, are you listening? Uh, so we love you, Joe. So you know what, um, what, uh, what was a comparable attempt to the quiet place, but was a massive failure actually for Netflix did very well was bird box. Mm-hmm. And Bird Box, essentially, where you had the same concept, but but you were not able to open your eyes, or else I guess you would essentially have a seizure because of the shade of light that would form from these creatures. And so you basically had these people walking around blind, basically just touching everything and everyone. Actually, would be a great way to... Uh, touch people in certain places without their permission and have an excuse. Are we getting back to why you had to leave the movie? Yeah, well, well, all I can say is, folks, meth is a hell of a drug. Yeah, so anyway, Quiet Place, good. Bird Box, uh, nope. For all those of you who want to watch something a bit more modern than Jaws and Ghost Darkness, although classic uh, certain requirements if you are in the thriller, thriller writing genre. I will say this, by the way, is after I did see A Quiet Place, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I saw the bird box. You yeah. still have to see Quiet Place. We're going to probably watch do a comparison on a later episode. I think it'd be a good idea. Yeah. Um, but I will say this. I did learn one thing from watching the bird box. The actress there who had to grope around in the world as it got destroyed was Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock was also, for you folks who, who know your classic cinema, was also in the movie Gravity when there was an a, a accident on board a space station she had to get back to Earth. Finally, she was also, remember she kicked off her career, driving a bus with a bomb on it, yeah. which could blow up if she dropped below 65. I think the, the lesson is very clear here. Don't go anywhere with Sandra Bullock, okay? Bad things happen to people who follow her around. Yeah, they do. I mean, you know, you look at Michael O'Kerr. I mean, the kid literally was on the street, okay, like, you know, living in, uh, you know, the projects, and suddenly, you know, she freaking takes him, and, you know, he goes to the NFL, in the blind side, like okay, anyway. well nobody died in that one. Okay, so in that case, if I guess if you're an oncoming, if you're an up and coming football star, yeah, you can follow her without dying. But trust me on this, folks. You see Sandra Bullock going up, getting on a bus, don't get on. You see her getting on a cruise ship, don't get on. You see her getting on your space shuttle, don't get on. Just trust me on this. And by the way, Sandra, if you're listening, to this, we love you. Yeah. So you both can see the connection here. Last episode, we were talking about Matthew McConaughey, who I believe was was a former. Love interest of Sandra Bullock. But anyway, this is a thriller show, so we're going to stay out of the soap opera and back to the... Uh... Well, you notice he's alive. He got out of there. He realized what was going on. He listened to us. He listened to his instincts. They're no longer together, and he's still alive. By the way, I take back my merging of the march with Matt Damon and Johnny Depp and, uh, and Pirates of the Caribbean. I would actually do Matthew McConaughey's Interstellar with the classic... Baron Munchausen? Yeah, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Baron, Baron, yeah. I oh, mean, you're that, talking to me about be... films that are too yeah, old? What was that, 1981? Okay. Now I'm dating myself. See, I have already fallen uh, off the flat earth and down to the subterranean triple ocean. <laughs> hey, you still listening? That's good. Because now you're in for a treat. Because next up is The Conspiracy Game. I'm your host, James Manganello. 
I'll be awarding the value of their statements on a scale of 1 to 5 Rothschilds. Whoever has the most points at the end of the evening gets bragging rights and a warm case of Schlitz. Gentlemen, inhale those jet chemtrails and get out your flat earth maps because it's conspiracy time. You know, I, like I know that we're primarily sticking to a certain theme here, but I just had to break this one, Michael, okay? Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm fully, fully aware of it. I, I give you full reign. Okay. I don't think I could stop you okay. if I tried. Okay, well, you know, that's good because apparently the, you know, a movie theater clerk has stopped me many times already. The way I see it, the T.J. McKay train is on the track and woe betide anybody who tries to derail it. So here's my conspiracy theory, okay? Have you ever gone into a business meeting or a party? <laughs> I can't wait to see where this goes. A business meeting. Wow, a lot of this is going to be edited out. James, you're going to be talking a lot here. Okay, so... To either a business meeting or a party, there's always one guy, and the, the guy dominates the conversation, and he won't shut the hell up, and he's bragging about everything he has, all of his properties, all of his cars, all of his deals, everything he does. He's God's gift to humanity, okay? You know, he's got a gold toilet, you know, you know, uh... He's got all the toys. His stool looks like Pepto-Bismol, okay? Like, I mean, everything is just perfect about this guy. And he goes off and he just... My conspiracy theory is that if you... Have you ever noticed that that guy, whenever it's time to leave, whenever it's time to leave that, that business meeting or that party, he always leaves early. And it's always because he's trying to say, you know, oh, well, I'm so busy. You know, I'm, I'm of utmost importance. Well, my conspiracy theory is that the reason... Why? Is because in reality he's overcompensating and he's exaggerating and he doesn't want you to see what kind of car he really drives. <laughs> he does not exactly want you to see the 1984 Plymouth Reliant in the driveway that he leaves in, okay? Because if you're sitting out there and you catch him hopping into a Honda Civic, okay, when he's talking Ferrari, it ain't going to end well with his act. That's my conspiracy. Ugh. Here's your C and three Rothschilds. I don't know. Is, is that just too much information or is that a conspiracy theory? <laughs> but I will go with that. I'll go with that because the thing is, <laughs> I know people like that. I think we probably all do, but let me tell you, let me tell you why I know that. Because I've run into the people who ran the meeting or ran it into the ground when I worked in Silicon Valley a long time ago, kids. Yes. It was called the dot-com boom, okay? Oh. And literally... Three quarters of the parking lot in the, the company I worked were Lamborghinis, Porsches, okay? We're talking like the Lamborghini Countach, not like a discount thing. We're talking six-figure cars, which are probably now seven figures, right? Yeah. Uh, Bentleys, everything. Then after the crash happened, they all vanished. And they were replaced by things like the Plymouth Reliant. <laughs> okay, not that far back, but much more, shall we say, modest cars that we, the peasants, would drive. So all of that, all of that was rented. It was all fake. The prosperity was fake. So you think it's real? I think, I think it's real that it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> you could have done better, but you put in the effort. So here's two Rothschilds. All right. Now this one here goes back into the depths of time, into the 90s here, all right? But those of you out there who like conspiracy theories may remember the classic show The X-Files. Now, they had a kind of a blind in one episode. By a blind, I mean they were focused on one mystery conspiracy, and they missed another one sitting right in front of them, okay? 
It was in an episode of the X-Files, I believe it was season eight. It was called Hell Money, okay? In this one, Mulder and Scully are, are looking into a, a gang in San Francisco's Chinatown that is robbing people of their organs. They're like getting people together in kind of like a cult thing. They're doing a gambling scenario with whoever loses, they pass out or inject it with something, and they wake up and they're missing their kidneys or something. Or they're totally ripped up all their organs and they're dumped out. I can't remember. But here's the thing. In order to surveil the gang, okay, for three nights in a row, they park in the exact same spot in San Francisco's Chinatown to watch the gang. Folks, I used to live in San Francisco. I know what Chinatown there looks like. It is flat out impossible to find the same parking spot for three nights in a row. Obviously, something supernatural is going on, and it ain't an organ thief gang or anything. Five Rothschilds. Well done. What it could be, though, I'm not really sure. How did they get that? I'm going to have to throw this to, uh, to TJ. What do you think? What, how did they get the same parking spot in the most crowded section of one of the most crowded cities in America? And they got that spot three times. This is really, really interesting. So a couple of different scenarios. Number one, I would say that there has to be a taboo reason why no one parks in that space. It probably has to do something with the head of that particular gang mandated that nobody ever parked there. So if anybody did park there, it would raise eyebrows. Now that would be really, really interesting. A great way for a thriller writer to kind of build something in the story that would be very seemingly obvious and then later to come around and say, no, duh, you shouldn't have parked there. That was so awful. One Rothschild. That's the first possibility. I like that because it's kind of like, well, we leave it there to trap people like you. Anybody who parks there has to be somebody from outside that's watching us. Number two, I would say, is that they happen to be of transported from an alien planet uh, in a different dimension. And for some reason, they're not, they're, they're not able to see invisible signs. And there happens to be an invisible sign that basically says $1 million parking fine for anybody that parks here in the spot. That could be it. And you can kind of put like a Dr. Evil type of from Austin Powers type of thing. I love how you're tying this in, these franchises in. I want to hear how this goes. There would be like a Dr. Evil icon that basically says $1 million. (laughs) That would be kind of cool. I mean, I think that... That was good. That Yeah, because... You know, like I used to live in Washington, D.C. And, and in New York City for a bit, but I actually had a car in Washington, D.C. I never had a car in New York to live. And when I had a car in D.C., it was quite common that people would just park their cars in illegal parking spots as opposed to paying for parking because actually it was cheaper yes. to get a $10 to get $15 a ticket. ticket a yes. day as opposed to paying five or $600 a month. With a deposit for a parking spot. <laughs> it makes sense. So that could, but if, but, if, but if Dr. Evil comes in and puts you up for $1 million, then obviously that's not going to happen. That just sucked. I'm not going to kick it because you're already down, so here's a Rothschild. Have a nice day. Third thing is uh, you can kind of turn it into like a thriller slash voyeur, voyeur uh, type of uh, piece, and uh, they were actually... Uh, egging on uh, Scully and Mulder to come and uh, watch them do some fun stuff because, after all, it is San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think that's about as nuts as you can get for tonight, so I'm going to go with that. That's it? That's all you got? That's all you brought with you? Uh, It's better than getting smacked in the head. I'll give you one Rothschild for that.
Thank you very much for, t- for listening to this episode of the Fiction Holics uh, podcast, where thrillers, writing, film, podcasts, and all the greats come together to be put out by a very long, wet hose. A quick check of our sticky notes, and it looks like Michael Angel brought in the most Rothschilds tonight. Congratulations, Michael. You and a warm case of Schlitz flown in fresh from our warehouse in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. That's all for tonight, and thanks for listening to The Fiction Hollocks. DJ McKay is the author of the financial thriller Lucky Links, which is now available on Amazon. Michael Angel is the author of the Plague Walker medical thriller series, which is also available on Amazon. This most excellent narration was done by me, James Manganiello. And you can find more of my voiceover work at irefusetoquit.podomatic.com. Oh, and if you have a question and you've always wondered about something or not quite tame conspiracy theory that you'd like us to discuss, please drop us a line at thefictionholics at gmail.com.